If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn there, I'm going to be taking some Scripture out of Luke in chapter 2 and also be finding Luke chapter 16. Uh, Here in Luke chapter 2, and I'm sure it's a very familiar uh, chapter, especially this time of year, about the birth of Jesus Christ, but uh, where I want to start reading is in verse 25. And about a man who was waiting. He was looking. And he was described as a man who was waiting upon the consolation of Israel. That consolation had been spoken of thousands of years before. In Genesis chapter 3, whenever it is that God has found that man had disobeyed him, that Adam and Eve had uh, turned away and were disobedient and, and unfaithful to him, that He set forth a plan for salvation. He set forth a remedy for the ill that befell them. You know, and a lot of people would say, well, why God in all of His infinite wisdom, He couldn't see that Adam and Eve would mess up. Uh, uh, but rather, I see that God knew that they would mess up. And He put the, the tree there in the garden, not that they should mess up, but knowing that if they had the opportunity to disobey, then that was obedience. Knowing that they would be tempted and drawn away of their own lusts. And the Bible says that lust, when it conceives, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. The Apostle Paul said that in the first Adam all died, but he pointed to a second Adam, a man by the name of Jesus Christ, who come into this world. He come to die. He came to shed His blood. Uh, uh, You know, there was no other person ever born uh, that was born for the specific purpose of dying, uh, but Jesus Christ was born to die. And that Simeon, he'd looked at the Old Testament. He had waited upon this day. No different than Abraham. No different than King David. And the prophets before, they looked and their salvation was in Jesus Christ. Looking forward, knowing that He was going to come and He was going to be the sacrifice once for all. That everything else was just a stopgap measure. And it was now... Uh, that Simeon, uh, uh, this fateful day, there was a young child brought uh, uh, into the temple and Simeon was there. Uh, uh, and the Holy Spirit uh, uh, gave him a push uh, uh, forward and he went uh, and met his Lord and Savior. Uh, uh, he was told uh, that he wouldn't die before that he would see the consolation of the nation of Israel. And I tell you this, uh, the same hope that that man had uh, and the same joy that he had in that day Uh, We sung the song Joy to the World. Uh, I can tell you uh, uh, that if the notion of Jesus Christ uh, uh, born of a virgin uh, coming into this world uh, to remit your sins doesn't put joy in your heart, uh, there's something wrong. Because it is a glad day. And these are glad tidings. Because prior to that and without Jesus Christ, there's not a lot of hope to be had. 
You know, I think about there after, you know, reading the genealogies in the book of Genesis. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I'd see so-and-so begat so-and-so and I'd hit the fast-forward button in my Bible. I'd jump over every bit of that and say, you know, yeah, that's all great and good, but it's not exactly a page-turner. And I'd skip to the end. The Holy Spirit compelled me to go back and to take a closer look. I suddenly found that those fields were white with for the heart. Harvest. And I went back and I began to look and I found things. And what I seen was how that Adam and Eve had children. And it said they had other children. It wasn't just Cain, Abel, and Seth. But rather they had other children. But Seth was the one that had the hope that God had instilled. Seth was in the same line as Noah and Abraham. The same line as Enoch. The same line as Methuselah. They all looked forward to a hope that only God could supply. The same hope that Simeon finds here. Let's read in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. I can tell you that you can't do a good thing without the Holy Ghost propelling you and compelling you to go forth. And he was waiting. I can tell you one of the hardest things anybody will ever tell you to do is to wait. But it said he was found waiting. Verse 26, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I tell you, now that's significant. That's the same similarity as Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he said, I'll see him in the flesh that Simeon knew. Hey, I'm not going to pass on before that I see the Redeemer. And this Redeemer, now you think about it, that a lot of people misunderstood. The Pharisees and all of them, they thought that it was going to be a great king marching in with an army like King David, the warrior king. They weren't expecting a baby born in a manger. They weren't expecting it to be a bunch of mangy old shepherds bearing witness of him. Did you know that during that time a shepherd was about as low as low could be? That the shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in their courts. And yet it was that God selected them, uh, uh, the weak uh, and lesser things, to show His strength in this day. Uh, And it was that Jesus came to the temple here. Uh, Verse 27 says, And He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him after the custom of the law, then took He Him up in His arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest Thou Thy servant depart in peace according to Thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation uh, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles uh, and the glory of thy people Israel. Uh, uh, That he knew what he was. Uh, He saw him for what he was. Uh, And that makes me think about what Jesus said later on to Simon Peter. Uh, uh, When Peter confessed him that thou art the Christ, uh, Jesus told him, it's not flesh and blood that's revealed this to you, uh, but rather the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, He has revealed Uh, uh, the truth to Him. Uh, And I can tell you the world out there, 
They stand back and they say, I don't believe in that business about this Jesus guy. And yes, the Bible talks about a God, but there are many gods. You know, and one's just as good as the other. Well, I can tell you this. The way I see it, there's either one God or there's no God. And I can tell you that even if you believe in Jehovah God as the Creator God of the universe, without Jesus Christ, He doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Because God decreed, swore by His own self, He said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Some people may say, well, why didn't they take the baby then and shed its blood? Why didn't they take Jesus right at that moment uh, and just shed every drop of His blood? Uh, You think about how people would view the Christian religion uh, if they took a baby uh, uh, and shed His blood then. You think about what a heinous crime it is for anybody to do anything wrong to a kid, a baby, more so than it is to another adult. Oh, it seems so much worse in our hearts and our minds because that kid couldn't have done anything to deserve that. A lot of times deep down, whenever something bad happens to an adult, we kind of feel like, well, they, you know, maybe they, they did something, they brought it on themselves. But that kid, they can't. But I can tell you that Jesus Christ, why He didn't die then. And you'll notice that several times throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, He said, my time is not yet nigh. Because He had appointments to keep. He had a man by the pool of Bethesda that he had to go uh, and touch him uh, and tell him to take up his bed and walk out of there. Uh, uh, He had a man by the name of Barnabas uh, that was going to get his eyes touched uh, and healed a woman with an issue of blood uh, uh, who was going to touch the hem of his garment. Uh, But most of all, uh, Jesus had to live a life without sin. He had to show that under the law he was perfected. He had to be a sacrifice without spot and without blemish. He had to walk a daily life just like you or I would and do so without sin. You'll notice that the Pharisees, they examined Him. And the priests, their job was to examine the sacrifice and to look it over from nose to tail. The lamb, if you brought a lamb, they looked it over and they would deem it either acceptable or unacceptable. And what they found when they began to question with Him and everything was they could find no fault in Him. Pontius Pilate, when he got done, he said, I can't see anything that this guy's done wrong or deserving of death. And that was an absolute truth that he had done nothing deserving of death. But we had We do every day. We deserve death every day. That little baby that the crime against which would be so heinous, it is born of the lust of the flesh. Jesus wasn't even guilty of that. He was born of the will of the Spirit of God. Born of a virgin. He came into this world without any sin attached to Him. And though when He hung on the cross and all the sin of the world was laid upon Him and placed upon Him on that cross, when He got out of that grave, Brother Sam, on the third day, He was as clean as clean could be. That though that sin had been attached to He had washed it and made it whiter than snow. And all of it began right here when He came into this world and began His march toward bloody Calvary. You know, a lot of people are perfectly fine with the baby Jesus. 
But they're not okay with that man that you'll see pictures of with a crown of thorns upon his head and blood running down his face, uh, hanging on a cross, uh, uh, laid naked before men. Uh, uh, modesty puts him in a loincloth often, but they stripped him naked uh, and drove nails through his hands and his feet uh, uh, that it was something uh, that they wouldn't show on network TV, uh, uh, that it was vile and awful. Uh, and what he went through. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is, is that all he had to do was hang on until Tadalestai. It is finished. It's paid for. It's done. The plan is fulfilled. I was thinking about that as I was sitting there during the commencement ceremony the other night about Tadalestai. It's finished. You know that in. The last few days I've had to get on the internet and fill out forms and everything and prove that I know what I know and, and, and provide evidence of that. And I kept thinking about that, tetelestai, that word. And then under Roman law, that meant that your punishment had been fulfilled, that the law had been satisfied. And it could no longer be brought up again. I can tell you that when we got down to that old-fashioned altar, that the book of our life, or if you want to call it a scroll, it was rolled out before Almighty God. And in blood of Jesus Christ, Tatalestai was written on it. And it was washed whiter than snow. And I can tell you that if Christmas doesn't mean that, if Christmas doesn't point toward in your life then I don't know why that you even bother celebrating oh we love to give gifts and get gifts and all these things but I can tell you that if you don't understand why that the gifts were given and I can tell you that a lot of people say well it represents the gold frankincense and myrrh that the three wise men brought to Jesus no to me it represents a gift to this world that come in the form of a Savior that Almighty God sent down knowing that there was nothing else that could ever hope to do away with my sin. You may say, Brother Jeremiah, you talk like you're the only one in the world that's ever sinned. I'm the worst sinner I know because I don't know everybody else like I know me. You know, people talked about, and I mentioned this one time in a group of people, about the kind of person I was before I got saved. And they said, Well, Jeremiah, we knew you in high school. You weren't that bad. And I said, yeah, but I knew me. I knew how I was. And I knew what I thought and believed. I was a walking contradiction. I was a person who didn't believe in God, but I'd pray sometimes just to cover the base. I was a 17-year-old boy uh, uh, who got sick one night, uh, didn't believe in God, but now I got so sick that I literally believed that I was going to die. Uh, and I got scared, Brother Sam. Uh, I could feel the flames of hell licking at my heels. Uh, I asked Mom and Dad to pray for me as we were on our way to the hospital. Uh, I wept like a child uh, because I thought uh, this was it uh, and I'm going to hell. Uh, and I can tell you that I knew enough to know uh, that there was but one escape and that was Jesus Christ I can tell you that nowhere in any, in, at any point in my education have I ever found anything that says this is the cure for death this is what will assure you of things better after this life but in studying this book from a very young age before I could ever read I'd heard a lot of those Bible stories and they all pointed toward Jesus Christ. 
as a Savior. This world, you know, and I, I was at the barber shop there, obviously, a few days ago. And me and some of the men there were talking about, you know, the problems that ail people. And having spent time in the public school system, I can tell you, one of the biggest problems that pervades this country right now, just in a secular standing, is a lack of patriotism. That people act like that they're almost ashamed to be citizens of this nation. I had a discussion with my students one day, my seventh graders there at Vincent Middle, and I told them, I said, when you stand up and you say a pledge of allegiance to the flag, you're not pledging allegiance to Donald Trump or Barack Obama or your senators or anything else. You are pledging allegiance to your nation, your family, your friends, the, pe the people and things that you hold most dear. And I told them, I said, if somebody invaded this country, would you not stand against them? Somebody come to take away our freedoms. Would you not fight and be willing to shed your blood for them? And I told him, I said, when I stand up and I put my hand over my heart and I say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, I'm not thinking about George Washington. I'm thinking about those men there at Valley Forge that walked in with no shoes in the middle of winter. That they believed in a cause and they fought and they bled. Many of them died. And people, man, they'll stand up and say, Yeah, that makes me proud to be an American knowing that blood was shed for me. I can tell you what really does me a lot of good is to know that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for me on a personal level that if it had only been me that needed His blood shed, He'd have done it. He'd have come and he'd have bled and died if he'd have looked and said, you know, there ain't but one that'll even take advantage of it. And that's Jeremiah Williamson. I'll go and I'll do it. And I can tell you that's not the way that it is. People can argue predestination. They can argue eternal security all that they want. But I can tell you that it is an act of volition upon each and every person. Because God's already done everything. He's finished the plan of salvation. When Jesus said it's finished... What he was talking about is everything on God's end, it's done. And that what's left is on our end. You may say, Brother Jeremiah, that's all well and good. But I'm already saved. Good. I can tell you this though. Hang on to it with everything that's in you. How easy it is to get distracted. How easy it is to start paying attention to things other than what you should pay attention to. And how easy it is to forget to share what you know. You know, when I was in school and I've had this discussion with other educators, and see, that's one thing. It's hard for me to... Mentally, I still yet, I don't think of myself as a teacher. I still think of myself as a student, but I've talked with other teachers. And in my day, when I was in school, teachers were purveyors of information. They were the ones that had the information in the textbooks and the encyclopedia, you know, the World Book Encyclopedia there in the classroom. Kids are overloaded with information nowadays. But what I found is they don't know how to think about it. They don't know how to look at it and, and, and process it and say, this is good, that's not good. This is important, that's pointless drivel. And you'll find most often that these kids who have such readily access to the internet, and these so-called digital natives, they don't have a clue how to learn anything from it or how to think about some of these things. And I can tell you too that there's a lot of people that have readily access to the Word of God 
but they've never really sat down and thought about it. And what it means to them on a personal level. That if the only salvation that we have is a preacher said salvation, well, I guess the preacher will make it. I guess the preacher's going to do all right. But if we have something that goes beyond whenever, whether the preacher's around or not, that if there was to come a time when that I couldn't get in this pulpit and we couldn't assemble like we are today, what kind of shape would you be in? If suddenly the Bible was outlawed and you couldn't get your hands on one, how much of God's Word is hid in your heart? Because that's what's most important. You know, people are impressed by men when they memorize a bunch of scriptures and everything else. I can tell you, what does it mean to you? How significant. When you read about the birth of Jesus Christ, does it not bring joy to you? Or is it just another story? Is it just something that's, well, yeah, I've heard this since I was a little bitty thing. Or the resurrection, does that not mean anything? You know, a lot of people would say, what's the most important part? The birth, the death, or the resurrection. I look at them and I say, yes. Yes, exactly. Because without the birth, there couldn't be a death or a resurrection. Without the death, there couldn't be a resurrection. And without the resurrection, there couldn't be one who knows the way, who is the way, the truth, and the life. They're all important. A lot of people would say, well, you know, I think this Jesus guy was a pretty good guy. Yes, he was. But I can tell you that if he wasn't Lord and Savior... He does me no good. If he was just a good teacher, so was Confucius. So was Buddha. So was Muhammad. But what Jesus did was he went beyond anything that any of the rest of them can do. You read about George Washington. His story ends the day he died. Abraham Lincoln. If he died, that story pretty well stopped. Jesus Christ, when he hung on that cross and bled and died... Three days later, you got to the good part. You got to the part where that he presented himself and he said, Thomas, you having trouble believing? Touch the nail prints and put your hand in my side. And that was when Thomas looked now. And Thomas was a doubter, so were we. Don't hold Thomas in such low regard. We doubt. But Thomas, the way my mind conjures it, he didn't need to touch any nail prints or put his hand in any side, but it said, My Lord... And my God, have you seen that? Do you believe to that point? As I can tell you, your convictions only go as far as whenever they're tested. A lot of people can rear back and, make, and say things, and I was guilty of that. You know, everybody always has an opinion on what kind of parent they'll be until they actually have kids. You know, if that's my kid, I'd do this or that. I've had to call hogwash on a few people over those sorts of things. I had to eat some of my own words about things like that. But I can tell you this, your convictions, when they're put to the test, you'll really find out what you're made of. And I can tell you that without the Holy Spirit, you'll fall flat of your face. Because you think about what happened with Peter. Peter went up and followed Jesus, but at a distance. And he stood at a distance... And without the Holy Spirit, he said, I don't know Him. But after the resurrection, Peter stood and pointed a finger right at the Sanhedrin court, the very same men that he was terrified of. And he said, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, it's Him that I preach to you today. And he said, they took notice of Peter and John 
They said these unlearned men, or as the Greek translation, the Greek word for it, and I thought this was funny, was idios. So where we get idiot from. These idiots, these guys who don't know nothing. They said we took notice of them and knew they'd been with Jesus. That's the best testimony ever, isn't it? Somebody look and say, this guy's an idiot. And yet he's able to stand up and talk to us like this and point his finger without fear. He's not afraid of us. Peter told him when they said, all right, all right we're going to let you loose because of the miracle you've done. Don't use that name, Jesus. Peter looked at him and he said, you judge among yourselves which is better. Hearken to the will of God or to the will of man. And then he left. All oh, they threw him in jail. All oh, they persecuted and tried him. But when it came down, when he had his own life in his own hand and his faith in the other, he chose his faith. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll choose incorrectly. This day that we're about to celebrate, and I'm like Brother Sam, it doesn't matter what day Christ was actually born. You know, a lot of people try to say, that's eh, just silly, you know, they, they did this or that. <coughs> they talk about, uh, well, it was married with a pagan ritual and all this. I can tell you, it's not pagan to me because it all points to Christ. It's about that baby in that manger filled with hay that there was no room in this world for him. You know what he did? He came into this world in a borrowed cradle and he died and was laid in a borrowed grave. <laughs> you think about the significance of that. He just needed one for a few days. That's all he needed. We serve a Lord who went to a grave temporarily. You see if you find that in any other religion. You see if you find any evidence. Because what I like is in the beginning of this, and I'm on a hush. C.S. Lewis, I love what he said about this. And he was an ardent atheist until he came to Christ years later. But he said, as a man acquainted with myths and fables, and you can sit down and read about Beowulf and King Arthur. You can read about uh, Cinderella and uh, Sleeping Beauty and all of these things and Star Wars. I mean, all of them start out with a similar thing. Once upon a time, long ago in a galaxy far away. All of them start out with a nondescript time and a nondescript place. But here in the Word of God, when it talks about Jesus Christ, it says very specifically where and when. And C.S. Lewis said, fables don't start out that way. They don't list a definite time. And they don't list a definite place. That you look at, it's on the same page in my Bible, look at the first verse of chapter 3. It says, Now in the fifteenth year, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor in Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and in the region of Traconius and Lysias the tetrarch of Abilene, and Anna, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. You can go back in secular history and track that down. If it was a myth or a fable, you couldn't. I can tell you this, he lives. Jesus Christ lives. Not He lived. He lives. He is risen. He is at the right hand of the Father. And He is waiting. And I believe that He's waiting like somebody uh, that's waiting on their love to arrive. <laughs> that He's waiting on His bride. Because it says that when, uh, when the time comes, there'll be a mighty shout. I believe that'll be like the groom uh, saying, go and get your bride. A mighty shout. He's waiting. And He is coming again. 
And He's coming to receive us. And if that doesn't put joy in your heart, if those aren't glad tidings of great joy, I don't know what is. Let's all stand and get a song.